Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2019. Has it hit you like a bus? Yes? Well, like me then. Um, but it's great to gather together at the start of a new year, isn't it? Um, for those of you who were with us um, last term and you, and you have a memory, you will remember that we spent the, most of the term looking at the book of Ephesians. And we were looking at how the, the, that book, Paul is writing to a community that have um, disagreements, they're not particularly united, and what that has to say, what the book of Ephesians has to say about how we can be united as a big family, even for us today. And we spent the term looking at that. And we're going to spend this term looking at and that theme of a big family in more detail, thinking especially about what the implications are for that, about how we do our life together, especially a life of being community and welcoming um, together in relationship with one another. And what we're going to do is we're going to be looking, as Mike said earlier, um, at some of the stories that Jesus told in order to do this. And Jesus told lots of stories, but his most profound stories, I believe, were in the, the parables, the stories that um, he told to describe what life looks like if God is king. The stories that he told to li- uh, that explain what life would look like if we lived as citizens of God's heavenly kingdom, rather than the way that the world around us would want us to live. So each week between now and Easter, we're going to take a different parable and we're going to unpack it and think about its implications for us and what that means if we're going to live that radical, countercultural life that has God as our king not us and not the world around us. And, oh, I'm tripping over something. Um, just a disclaimer, okay? Um, parables aren't easy reading. They might be familiar. We might be familiar with a number of Jesus' parables. We might not be. And we might um, think we know what they're about. But actually, what I want to say today, so that you don't come and have a go at me either later today or in a few weeks' time, is that if you come to church each Sunday hoping for your um, existing worldview, your existing beliefs, your expectations to be reinforced and to go away on a Sunday evening feeling a bit smug and quite good about yourself, then you're going to be quite severely disappointed and it's not going to be easy listening, I don't think, for you. But if you come to church on a Sunday because you're desperate, you are desperate for some hope, you are struggling with life, you are weighed down by pain or suffering of yourself or other people, or maybe a sense of just the injustices of the world and your own life are really getting to you, then my hope is that through looking at these parables and looking at the way that God sees the world, you'll be comforted. Because God is a God who comforts those who are disturbed and disturbs those who are comfortable. So I wonder, which, which are you tonight? Now, you might be a bit of both. I think we all are sometimes. But just something to think about. So that disclaimer out of the way, we're going to start off looking at possibly one of the most challenging of Jesus' parables, and maybe one of the most memorable, um, and that's the parable of the sheep 
and the goats in Matthew 25. Now, for some of us, we might know this parable quite well, but I'm going to just encourage you to listen to it with fresh ears, if that's at all possible for you. So we're in Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 31, and it should come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. There are always, by the way, a big pile of Bibles at the back if you ever want to grab one on your way in. So I'm going to read from verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you didn't look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So I want to start this evening by asking you a question. Where do you go to find God? Where do you go to find God? Now, for some of us, we might say, well, that's why we come to church on a Sunday. We might say something about how church for us is that place of calm, a refuge from our worries, a place of safety, of security, of reconnecting starting our week well. For others, we might say, church buildings are difficult for me. Actually, I like to be outside. I like to get away from it all. Go for a walk, enjoy the beautiful countryside and God's amazing creation. Others of us might say it's in our prayer times when we're just in a room, door shut, by ourselves, one-on-one with God. For others of us, it might be listening to music, Maybe it's doing something creative, making something with our hands. Maybe if you're totally honest, that question, where do you go to meet God, 
Where do you go to find God? That doesn't make sense to you because life is too busy and too frantic and too hectic to give any time at all to thinking about things like that because you're worrying about the kids and how well they're doing. You're thinking about tomorrow's deadline that you've got to meet. You're worried about... um, health problems, money stresses, relationship breakdowns, you've just got enough on your plate already. Or maybe you've given up trying to meet with God altogether because you've been disappointed in the past and maybe you've become apathetic. Prayer seems pointless to you. Why bother? You can't be bothered to try anymore. I don't know where you're at tonight. We might be at a very different place as all of us here this evening. But in the story that we've just looked at, the story of the sheep and the goats, Jesus gives a quite specific answer to the question, where is God? Because in it, we've got the king, haven't we? The king, we come to believe that to be Jesus. The king explains that he himself is in the hungry, the sick, the homeless, the prisoner. If we want to meet with God, we'll find him in these people. Because, and he says this twice, doesn't he? It's quite a repetitive um, parable. He says, whatever you do or didn't do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do or don't do for me. What he's saying in effect that it is possible for each of us to meet with God because God wants to meet with us and he does come to meet us. But he comes in disguise He comes in a form that we might not expect because he comes in the prisoner. Think about that. He comes in the prisoner. He comes in the poor. He comes in the refugee. He comes in the homeless, the sick. He comes to us sometimes, not when we're trying to escape those stresses and strains of life, but actually when we enter more fully into them. Because actually when you encounter people who are different from you, who are strangers, who are poor, who are struggling with life, your stress might be added to rather than taken away from. That might be more difficult, not less. But God wants to come to us in these ways. God wants to come to us, but he comes to us as a stranger And I want to spend some time this evening thinking about what the implications of that are. If God comes to us as a stranger, what does that mean for us here this evening? First, this might be quite difficult, but I think it means that we don't know God as well as we think we do. We don't know God as well as we think we do because he's mysterious He's unbounded by our expectations. God can't be our possession if God is a stranger. We can't claim that we own God. He's not dependent on us. He's bigger. He's not a plaything. He's not a toy. He's not a good luck charm. He's not, uh, he's not going to act in a certain way when we say certain prayers or we do certain things. He doesn't work like that. And he's not limited to acting in just our lives. He doesn't just love Christians, does he? And there's a tricky balancing act going on here. And I don't want to kind of be misunderstood because God is here. God is in the lives of those who love and worship him. 
God has been revealed to us in Jesus. God does want us to share that good news with the world who so desperately needs to hear it. Those things are all true. But if we stop there, if we say that's it, that's how God is limited, God isn't more than that, then we start to think we've got a monopoly on God, that God will do or not do what we want him to do, but that's not what God is like. God doesn't exist just in special places with special people. We just celebrated Christmas, and that was all about how God left behind the glory that he had. Jesus didn't stay separated from humanity, but he entered into it, he became flesh. And he became flesh alongside people who were good and bad and ugly and evil and whatever, people of all walks of life. God has entered into the whole of his world. So he's not separated from those of us who believe, um, who have God, and those who don't believe don't have God. That's not how God works. And that means that sometimes God will show up in unlikely places through unlikely people. That might means that God's ways sometimes will be really uncomfortable to us and kind of strange. I don't know if you've ever experienced God acting in what you perceive to be a strange way. But God can do that. God wants to do that. We can't claim that we've got a monopoly on God. We can't aggressively say, God is going to do this and that and the other, and if you disagree with me, you're wrong. Because God comes to us as a stranger, and so we need to be open to who God is and what God is doing in the world, even if it doesn't match up with our theology or preconceived expectations or presuppositions. God might choose to speak to you through a really aggressive and belligerent atheist. God might choose to speak to you through a TV show that's got nothing to do with Christianity at all. God might choose to answer the prayers of a non-committal agnostic who's not really sure about this whole God thing. God might show up in the most unexpected places and blow all of our assumptions out the water. I wonder, have you already seen God at work in that way? And are you kind of grappling with what that means, what that looks like? Maybe you are. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is that if God comes to us as a stranger as a marginalized or overlooked outsider, how often do we meet God? Do we choose to meet God? Are we prepared to show hospitality and welcome to those who are outsiders in our lives? Are we willing to show love and service to the poor, to act in, uh, to use acts of kindness and warmth to those who are unfamiliar to us? Now, we've already spoken this evening about how we've got some amazing ministries at St. Saviour's. We see this kind of thing happening week in, week out with our um, cafe, our work with Syrian refugees, with the homeless on Saturdays and now on Tuesdays, with our trekkers, our, our young people with additional needs. We see people choosing to show that kind of warmth and hospitality to those who are often overlooked in our society. And people do that not just within our church, but street angels and the food bank. And I'm sure there are plenty of us who are involved in other amazing ministries that do that very thing. But alongside this, 
our welcome of the marginalized, our inclusion of those who are excluded so often, is something for our whole lives. Not just for the couple of hours that we give to a certain ministry on a certain day of the week. It's supposed to spill out into every area of our lives. So our office spaces, our classrooms, our school gates. Are we showing that kind of welcome in those places as well to the people who just don't fit in? Being a Christian is something that should affect every area of our life. So I wonder... If you are not spending the majority of your life in this church building, which most of you aren't, might be different for me and Mike, but I'm just saying, if you're not spending most of your time here, are you expressing most of your faith here? Or actually, are you doing it in the rest of your life? This is a couple of hours a week. What are you doing with the other 168, however many hours it is? We need to show that love, that welcome, that hospitality in all that we do. But, and this is my third, the third consequence of the fact that God comes to us as a stranger, we don't primarily do this to be like Jesus and to show Jesus to other people. That might be part of it, but we don't primarily do it to show Jesus to other people. That might sound a bit... Uh, shocking and confusing to you but actually if you read the parable again it isn't really about becoming a nicer person you've probably heard a lot of sermons about be a nicer person that's not primarily what this parable is about if we look carefully at it Jesus isn't present to those in need through the ones who are acting lovingly the ones who are doing the welcoming the ones who are being kind Jesus is present in the ones who need the help, the ones who need that welcome, those acts of service. According to the parable, when we welcome the stranger, we welcome Jesus. When we show hospitality to others, Jesus becomes present to us. Now, this is, this is kind of difficult to get our heads around. And I don't also want you to go away thinking, okay, so fine, people who are different from me um, can be kind of nice people. And I met a person, and turns out they were quite polite. And that's fine, because I'm polite and they're polite, and now we're both polite together. That's not what it's about either. Sometimes that kind of thing will happen. Poor people, for example, are statistically more generous than rich people. They give away a higher proportion of their money than rich people. I find that humbling. But strangers are strange, right? That's why they're called strangers. They have strange ways about them. They do things that we might not like and we might not appreciate, and they might not match up with our pre-existing understanding of how uh, Jesus wants us to be, because they might shatter those expectations. They might completely challenge them or subvert them. Spending time with strangers might shake our worldview and might just be the way in which Jesus wants to meet with us. So perhaps we've unconsciously made becoming a follower of Jesus look very similar indeed to being middle class. Just fitting in with culture, living the dream. 
with a Christian veneer. Maybe we've done that. And maybe when we spend time with strangers, we realize the extent to which we've done that and the extent to which that's not Jesus' way. I'm just putting that out there. And I'm just asking you this evening, are you prepared? Are we prepared? Because this is a challenge to me as well. To encounter a stranger God who might want to transform our lives in ways that are unsettling and unexpected? Are we ready to go out into the world, prepared to take risks, put aside our presuppositions, and be changed by meeting God in what might look like the most unlikely places? Now, according to this parable that Jesus tells, and this is the the challenging, really difficult bit of this story, right at the end, there's a shark... There's a, there's a really sharp contrast between the fates of the sheep and the goats. That's kind of what this story is known for, isn't it? Those who are prepared to meet Jesus in the stranger and those who aren't. And on first reading, it's really, really harsh and judgmental. It talks about eternal punishment for the goats who don't acknowledge and serve Jesus in those in need. And I just want to explain briefly about that word eternal that's used there. For us, we think about the word eternal and we think something that goes on and on and on and never ends. That's not what is meant or implied here. In the Greek, actually something different is inferred. The word eternal in the Greek doesn't refer to something that goes on and on and on, but something that comes from a place that is not of this world. It comes from an eternal place rather than an earthly place. That's the contrast here. So the punishment that is eternal is punishment that doesn't come from the world. The world doesn't generally punish people who ignore strangers, does it? The punishment that's been talked about here is punishment that comes from God, comes from a divine place, from God's eternal place, God's eternal perspective. Those are the people, God says, the ones who ignore the stranger, the poor, the marginalized. Those are the ones who will receive punishment. It's coming from God. You see, from reading these perspectives, we can gain an insight into the way that God sees the world. And isn't it good, isn't it right, that God cares about those who are marginalized and overlooked? Isn't it great if you are a prisoner, if you are someone who is struggling with the injustice of the world, if someone, you are someone who is homeless or poor or in need in another way? When you read this parable, what do you see? You see hope. Hope that God sees it. God sees it all and God says it's not right and I will bring about justice in that situation, in your situation. That's God's perspective and that's what we need to not lose sight of when we read this parable. And I said at the beginning, didn't I, that these parables, they comfort those who are struggling. That's what this is doing here. But they also challenge those who are comfortable. And the challenge here today, for me, for you, is to go out into the world and encounter Jesus in the poor and the sick and in those who are in need. Not because we have something to give. We might have something to give and that's great and we need to give what we can. But we don't do it because we have something to give. We do it because we can learn a little bit more about who Jesus is and what he is like in that encounter. The challenge is to become so consciously aware that in other people, especially those who are strangers to us, those who are marginalized or overlooked, 
in those people, we might be meeting Jesus himself. We need to be so aware of that truth that we do all we absolutely can to become people who are radically inclusive and hospitable. And we've been talking quite a lot at St. Saviour's actually over the last few months, haven't we, about what we can do to be more welcoming. And it's kind of like, let's be more welcoming so we can show the love of Jesus. And I, I don't disagree with that. But actually, this parable is saying, be more welcoming because you might be welcoming Jesus. And how dare you overlook Jesus in your midst? How dare we not be hospitable to people who come through our doors, who look a bit different from us? How dare we not be hospitable to people who are in our office spaces, who are a little bit irritating? We might be meeting Jesus in that person. It is our responsibility, it is our calling, it is our duty to acknowledge Jesus in the other, in the stranger. That's the God that we worship, the one who left all of that glory that he had in heaven and became, came among us as a poor, vulnerable baby, became a refugee, was completely marginalized and killed for it. That's the God we worship, isn't it? Jesus became flesh and blood, flesh and blood incarnate. That's the God we worship. And that's the God that we can meet. Today, tomorrow, we can meet in our everyday lives. I'm going to finish just there. Now, you might be really offended by what I've said. That's okay. I'm not really offended by offence. So if you want to have a conversation with me about it, by all means, do. In fact, I almost prefer if you are offended by what I said. We'll have an, we'll have an interesting dialogue. I love that. Um, if you, though, want to kind of explore this theme further, and you, like me, love books, I love books, I'd really recommend this one. It's called Stranger God, and it's by a guy called Richard Beck. And he really picks up on this theme about seeing Jesus in unusual places, through unusual people, in disguise. It's a really, really good read. It's, it's pretty readable. So get yourself a copy of that. You can borrow mine if you want. Um, but I'm going to finish there, and I'm going to pray for us before I hand back over to Mike. Um, so yeah, let's just take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you chose to come among us, that you still choose to come among us in those unusual, unexpected ways. God, I pray that you'd open our eyes, let us see you, let us see your glory that is not glory in earthly terms, but is glory in your heavenly way, that you want to speak to us, you want to change us, you want to transform us. You want to show us who you are and what you're like. Open our eyes, God, that we can see you. Amen.